Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. The purpose of ministry, we said Christ-likeness of the believer, that's number one. Then number two, edification and growth of the church. Who has that on their notes? You do have that, right? Then we said types of ministry. What are the types of ministry that we have? If you have your notes, let's go back to it. Number one, ministry of the word. Number two, ministry of prayer. Number three, ministry of worship. Number four, ministry of fellowship. Number five, ministry of service. Number six, ministry of giving. Number seven, all right. Then the objective of ministry, number one, is to endure suffering. Um, for the glory of God. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 to 5. I'm not sure if I gave you that. Alright, to endure suffering for the, for, for the glory of God. First Peter chapter 4 and from verse 1 to 5. Secondly, you have to show love for the glory of God or to show love for God's glory. First Peter chapter 4 and from verse 7 to 11. So when you go back home, um, take some time out to study all these things and I want you to excel in the ministry. See it this way that you are not um, to excel in just one side of ministry and not in the others. You are called to excel in everything. You are called to excel in the ministry of encouragement, ministry of giving, ministry of service, ministry of fellowship, ministry of worship, ministry of prayer and ministry of the word. It's very key. Praise God. Now, on Wednesday, I started teaching on eternal rewards, and I made it very clear that God is going to reward every believer, every believer. Um, You have to understand the difference between salvation and rewards. It's different. It's two different things. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. Bring it into simpler terms. Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. So your making heaven is not something you have to earn. The moment you put faith in Christ, you're already heaven bound. As a matter of fact, it's heaven at first, not heaven at last. So heaven is not a reward, but heaven is a gift. But your works on earth here will be rewarded. You have to understand the difference. Your works here will be Joshua, don't worry about it, it's fine. Your works will be what? Rewarded. Now, understanding the distinction between these two, it is possible to be in heaven and miss out on certain rewards that your works should have brought you into. So that's why it's important that you understand salvation unto good works. I'll show you a scripture, Ephesians chapter 2 and from verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 and from verse 8. Uh, let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 2 and, and verse 8. Alright, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Somebody say through faith. And that not of yourselves. So your salvation is not of yourself. Your salvation is not anything that you did in yourself. Yeah? And the next phrase is, it is the gift of God. So you see, I'm not just telling you stuff for saying sakes. I'm telling you what is scripture. I've learned to drop my opinions down on on the floor. When I see the scripture, I align with the Bible. It's safer to be that way as a good Bible student. So the Bible says that your salvation is a gift from the Lord. Not of works, lest any man should boast. (laughs) Look, I tell you the truth. If salvation was by works, this heaven will be in grades. There will be parts of heaven where some of us will not be able to access. You know, and there will be people here on earth who will make life miserable for you just because you don't have their standard of what heaven should allow. But we thank God that salvation is not in grades, stages, and phases. Salvation is a gift from the Lord. That's why if you see the mercy seat, the mercy seat is a flat surface 
that covers everything that makes God angry in the Old Testament. You have the Ark of the Covenant, then you have the mercy seat. Under the mercy seat are the three components. You have the Aaron's rod that budded, you have the, uh, the, the manna, and then you had the Ten Commandments. All of these things symbolize God's authority in the life of the children of Israel. God's provision, manna, God's leadership, Aaron's rod, and God's law, the Ten Commandments. And they broke all of them. So God says, put it in the mercy seat. The moment he looks at the mercy seat, you see the two cherubs that are standing opposite each other. They're looking at each other and it signifies the presence of God. But God says, the moment the blood covers or is spilled on the mercy seat, I see the blood and it covers. It doesn't wipe away, but it just covers. It covers the thing that should evoke or stir the anger of God. Now, but that mercy seat is a flat surface. So there are no stages. It's no staircase on the mercy seat. There, there are no pillars. There are no, it's just a flat surface. So the level you are is the level, the day one smoker, the day one Boko Haram member who receives Christ will be on. Talk to me, somebody. Yeah, yeah. So the mercy of God is unfair. That's the reason why Jonah didn't want to preach to wicked people. Because the moment he preached to wicked people, they would accept Christ and he knows his loving father who would ignore all of their past and bring them into his heart and his kingdom. And he would keep them on the same level as they are. Your father is a merciful father. Somebody say amen. So salvation is not a gift. I mean, it's not the reward. It's a gift from the Lord. Then verse 9 says something. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then let's read verse 10. Do you have, the, do you have it on the multimedia screens? Okay, let's read verse 10 together. One, two, go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, hear this. Your salvation is not a gift your salvation is not something you walk for, but your, after you have been saved, you are called to walk. Your work doesn't get you saved, but after you are saved, you are called to work. And that work after salvation is what you call good works. But the work you try to do to get yourself saved is what the Bible calls dead works. So dead works and good works are two different things. So you cannot be in one extreme all the time saying that because salvation is not something that I work for, the moment I get saved, I'm not called to do any work. That's a wrong extreme. Then you cannot also be on the extreme that says I must work for everything to be saved. Every religion is working to be saved. Every religion. They are all trying to find God in some way or the other. Every religion. But we thank God that he gave us Jesus. And the moment he gave Jesus, he gave you salvation. He gave you eternal life. The Bible says, for this is the record. And what is that record? That you and I have eternal life. And he, this life, it first of all describes where this life is. It says, this life is in his son, Jesus. And he who has life... Or he who has the son has life. So that's what it is. Somebody say that's what it is. Or you can do it this way. It is what it is. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you're called to walk. Right? You're, I'm called to walk. There is a walk. And I also said on Wednesday that see today as training for reigning. That's the perspective you should have for your lifetime today. I don't know how old you are, but I know you are not up to 70. <laughs> I don't think there's a 70-year-old man here yet. Of course, you will get there. But I pray, I pray. See how people are staring at me. Amen. You will pass. You will get there and pass. Amen. When I say you will get there, you didn't say amen. You are going to the pass. At least say the amen of the you will get there then you will pass and pass. Yeah, so 
if we calculate the average lifespan of a man, it's about, let's say about 80, 90, 100. The millennial reign of God is about 10 times your lifespan. And it will be as real as real is to you right now. Because there are many ages and epochs in the scripture. Um, I don't want to go into science, but if you see the fossil relics of animals that have lived for about a million years before now, those things are real. Because there were creations or there were worlds even before the Adamic race. So there's no need to go into history and theology and all of that. But just understand that God has ages and dispensations. Now we are in the dispensation currently of the church age. And after the dispensation of the church age, we're going to have the catching away which is called the rapture. There is nothing like rapture in the Bible. Sorry, let me say that right. There is no word rapture in the Bible, but Rapture is the word that describes what is going to happen best. So that's why we coined the word rapture. What you see in the Bible is a catching away. The Bible says that we'll be caught up with him in the air. Some people say that Jesus is going to touch down when he comes and then he will take all of us. Some say we'll be caught up with him in the air and then he takes us to heaven. After the rapture has happened, there will be seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years, which is the mid-tribulation, and then the last three and a half years, which is the final era of the tribulation. You will have the reign of the Antichrist within the tribulation period. The man of sin, MOC, is going to become the son of perdition. He would mimic the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus um, within the tribulation period. I think I did this teaching about five years ago or so, but I don't remember where that teaching is. The man of sin is going to become the son of perdition. He's going to die. He would resurrect and mimic Christ. And some people will believe in Jesus. Those who don't, who take the mark of the beast, it might be a symbolic thing or it might be a certain affirmation of what you believe in. Now, those who take the mark of the beast, who pledge allegiance to the Antichrist, will be estranged from the life of Christ. So several judgments are going to happen in eschatological teachings. There are about seven judgments. The first judgment is going to be the Bema seat of Christ, which is the one I'm going to show you now. But there are six other judgments of which Satan himself at the end of the day will be judged. Him and his angels will be thrown into the pit. But there will be saints who believed God I'm not talking about Christ now. I'm talking about God before the advent of Christ that will be judged separately from the believers. So the Bema seat of Christ is not the judgment for Adam, for um, Elijah, for Daniel, for Moses, for Joshua. The Bema seat of Christ judgment is for the church age. It's for those who put faith in Christ after the coming of Christ. But those who have believed God will be judged separately. Those who believe God in the tribulation will be judged separately. So there are many judgments. But judgment is not the conversation we're having now. Conversation we're having now is that there will be what you call the Bema seat of Christ or the reward of Christ. It's a judgment seat that judges believers who have put faith in Christ. Are you still here? Who have put faith in Christ. Yeah. And they would receive a reward according to what was done in the body. So, what you do in the body is going to determine your reward going forward. And the thing is that you cannot change it the moment it is. Just like you cannot determine how you are born, what you look like, is the way a reward is going to be conferred on you um, um, and you cannot change it. You cannot do anything about it. So the wisdom there now is that you give your entire life to everything that drives you in the place of bagging rewards to your name. Because we are living in an opportunity or in an opportune time that we have by the grace of God and the wisdom of God to number our days, 
that you are able to uh, accord rewards for yourself. So, keeping this in mind, the scripture teaches about five crowns that every believer is going to have. Let me just touch a few scriptures and then we'll come to the five crowns. Just to give you background. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Princess, you want to hold the microphone so you can read for me? Okay. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. Do you have it? Do you have it up there? Okay. It says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody say, we all shall stand before what? The judgment seat of Christ. So, everybody's going to stand. We all. It's an individual thing. It's not a matter of I was born in a Christian family. You won't stand with daddy and mommy. (laughs) Neither would you stand with wife or husband or children. You're going to be by yourself. Somebody say you're all alone on that day. Now look at your neighbor. Come on, tell your neighbor you would all be by yourself on that day. Mm -hmm. Right? He says we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written as I live, said the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. Now let's see 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Do you have it? Okay, let's read it together. One to go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you see the word judgment seat of Christ is is occurring more than once in the scripture. That judgment seat of Christ is what the Bible calls the Bema seat of Christ. And everyone may receive the things done in his body. Yeah. Everyone may what? Receive the things done in his body. According to that he had done, whether it be good or or bad. Somebody say bad. Now, I just told you that your salvation is not a reward of a good thing or a bad thing that you do. Your salvation is a gift. So, how can you now be rewarded according to what you do, good or bad? But the word bad there means Kakos. Kakos means worthless. In the Greek, it means kakos. Kakos means worthless. Not bad necessarily in terms of the immorality of the word or in terms of the wickedness of the word. You could use it for that word, but in this context, it means worthless, of no consequence. So, some of us, listen to this very carefully, some of us are going to do things, but those things will become worthless. When you're standing before Christ on the bema seat of Christ, those things are going to become worthless. In other words, they would not have any reward. Now, what determines what is worthless? Is your motive. If your motive is wrong, it waters down the work that you're doing. So I've come to understand that God is not just one who sees what you do, but he sees how you do what you do. In fact, he doesn't only see how you do what you do. He says why you do what you do. Like I was sharing on Wednesday, I had to be honest about many things. About why do you want to be a pastor? Do you want to be a pastor because you want to be a pastor? Do you want to be a pastor because... I'm a pastor because I was called to be a pastor. And then I had to be honest in my heart about the message, about my leadership, about being a pastor. Because people... Church, please hear me. People cannot determine your work. Don't let anyone put a cap on how you serve God. Because your service to God must be between you and him. If someone is affecting your service to God, it means you are not seeing something correctly from the start. So you need to go back to the drawing board to reorder your heart and to redirect your heart 
and your reason for serving God. So, so you are going to be judged for the good things that you do and also for the bad things that you do or for the worthless things that you do. I pray that everyone here is going to receive good rewards. Somebody say amen. Amen. Alright, so crowns are given to people who are faithful. Um, Those who keep faithfulness in what God has called them to do, crowns are given to them. And the first crown we talked about on Wednesday is the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown is also called the incorruptible crown. Somebody say the imperishable crown. All right. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse twenty-four. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse twenty-four. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all in the Olympics? Is only one person that receives the reward or the crown or the prize, the medal. Because you are in competition with your neighbor. But in the kingdom, it's not like that. Everybody is running their own race. So you're not in competition with anyone. Everybody is going to run and everybody can and should receive their own reward. That's the design of God. So it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receive the prize. Paul is using an allegory here of the athlete and how the kingdom believer receives an award. So run that ye may obtain. Next verse. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Let's see if there is a next verse. And therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. Next verse. But I keep under. I want to see, I want you to see how this particular crown is described and what makes this particular crown this crown. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul is saying here that the way you are going to attain this crown, this crown here is not salvation. Can I please explain this verse? A lot of people have used this verse to threaten many believers. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The Bible here is not talking about heaven or hell. The Bible here is talking about a price, a reward. So one can go to heaven but be disqualified on a certain price. My father said something to me someday while I was growing up. He said, you would, you, you, you would have peace in heaven, but there may, the word is not a perfect description of what he intends to say, but just understand where he's going. You may have peace in heaven, but there may be shame in heaven. What could be the genesis of the shame? The fact that everybody's not going to look alike. Everybody's going to have different crowns, different glories. So, we would be on different rewards even though we are in heaven. So, the disqualification here is not about you're going to heaven. So, don't be scared about missing heaven. In fact, can I tell you, if you put faith in Christ, don't pray to make heaven. I've said it now. If you put faith in Christ, don't pray to make heaven. You're already in heaven. Because heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. Heaven is a gift for those who put faith in Christ Jesus. You know, this scripture... uh, who shall ascend to the hill? Um, who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hand and a pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to vanity. Do you know that scripture? Uh, is it Psalms 27 or which or 127? Huh? Psalms 24. 
Let's see that verse. Because when you look at that verse or that scripture critically, if you are a thinker, you would ask yourself, so who then can make this heaven? The earth is the Lord and the fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Next verse. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Next verse. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? In those days we preached terrible messages. How can you, you cannot come close to the, and we preach it with preacher's voice because then it has to make sense. Who can come close to the unveiled presence of God without being consumed? For he's the fire that consumes any fire. He's the one who you cannot stand by. For you are too unholy. To, are you not feeling power now? As I'm telling <laughs> power over wrong doctrine. That's not correct though. God is wiser than that. And I thank God that we stand holy. Unblameable. Accepted. Without reproach. Without any sense of inferiority. Before our father. So anybody who tells you, you have to work, you have to feel clean to come to him, is not the gospel. How can you wash your leg before you bath? How can the leper clean himself before he comes to Jesus? In the kingdom, dirty doesn't make clean dirty. Clean makes dirty clean. In the kingdom. If not, the moment Jesus touched the leper, he should have become dirty. In fact, in the Jewish law, anyone who touches a leper has to be considered unclean. So that's why when the leper is coming and he's probably passing through a crowd, he has to carry a bell around him and he's ringing the bell and he's shouting unclean as he's passing so that people can give way. But it is the same leper that Jesus looked at and he, oh my God, Jesus. If some of us were Jesus, we would do differently. But thank God Jesus is Jesus, amen. Jesus touched the leper and when he touched the leper, he said, be thou clean. And he told the man, go show yourself to the priest. Do you know as he touched the leper, Jesus didn't get dirty. The man got clean. You will drink deadly things. It will not hurt you. They told us that in the COVID era, dead bodies will be dropping all over Africa, all over the church. That's why during the COVID period, during the lockdown, I was so angry about certain things because it showed me the state of the church. It made me understand that the church doesn't know its power. I'm not saying there's a difference between precaution and fear. You take your shower every day. You wash your hands every day. Those are necessary precautions. I agree. I mean, even as I don't need to be a medical doctor to think that way. So I know these things. But there's a difference between precaution and having the spirit of fear. And it was a spirit of fear I was against during the lockdown. When they are categorizing things as non-essentials, not the church. Not the church. We touch things that are deadly and we bring them back to life. If not, why would you lay your hands on the sick and expect the sick to recover? Are you doing it just because the pastor said do it? Or do you really believe that you have eternal life? Oh, hallelujah. So he says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Now, let's see the criteria. Let's see who. <laughs> He who has clean hands. First of all, do like this. Alright? He who has what? Clean hands. Then, now we can't see your heart. <laughs> he And a pure heart who has not lifted up. First of all, first of all, nobody has clean hands. Nobody. I'm not saying that you have killed someone. I mean your hand has done dirty before in your lifetime. So you don't even qualify. Secondly, you don't have a clean heart. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. Number three. Who has not lifted up his soul? The word idol there is vanity. 
You know what that means? It means you have not just sat down one day and imagined nonsense. If you have never been there before in life, you are God. We should be worshiping you. Because it, God is just good. Who he, God doesn't just tell us the things that people are imagining about us. And tell you the things that... Let me put it this way. God is not just exposing you. Because I know how some of you have imagined some things. And if not that you are used to yourself, you would say to yourself, is this me? Well, because you are used to yourself. Has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Criteria. Who shall ascend? He shall receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Do you know I read this scripture and I did not know that the answer was staring at me. David is asking a question in verse 4. Who shall? It is this person who has all the criteria. But see the answer in verse 5. But he shall receive. The Bible did not say that you will walk for the blessing. You will just stand and receive the blessing. He doesn't even say you receive the blessing. What is the blessing? That you will receive what? Righteousness from the God of his salvation. That is the person who will ascend. So the one who has received blessing from the Lord and received righteousness. Show me Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. You have received righteousness. It's a gift. It's not a reward. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one man, much more those who have received abundance of grace and what? Gift of righteousness. So your righteousness is a gift. Stop prouding on top of what they give you. Come on now. Stop being proud about what they give you. It's a gift. Are you still here? Okay. So, the first crown is the imperishable crown. And that crown shows you that it is in the discipline of your body that you bring yourself to do the thing God wants you to do. I was sharing on Wednesday, I said, life has many pulls on you. There are many directions that life will take you. Most of us are busy people. Wake up in the morning, you have to go to work, or you have a business, you have what you're doing, you're, you're, you have to do something. But you must understand that in all of these things you need to do, there is the one thing that you are called to do, which is also or equally important, that has eternal value and relevance. Because after a hundred years, God help me say this in the way that I communicate, after a hundred years, all the things that we're doing is not going to count. You may leave a legacy for your children's children. There's nothing bad with that. But I'm talking about eternal relevance and eternal value. If you want to keep eternal value, it's good to start to chase the things that God has called you to do. When I'm having um, summits with teenagers... Teenagers are very privileged because when they hear the message of God's plan for their life, it sets them on a trajectory of purpose. Your cause is set. Thank God we're not too old. It's never too late to be right. So you have to go back. You know, the Bible says, teach us the number of days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. You have to go back and say, God, before I run and throw myself at life and I give all, expend all my energy in doing what I'm doing, without an understanding of what you want me to do. Because 50, 60, 70 is not the age to start finding out what God wants you to do. Now is the time. So, the moment you have found that, it is in the discipline of your body, the, the, the discipline, the, the ability to say no to your flesh, that pulls you more into canal rather than the spiritual that helps you in the will of God that gives you this crown. It's called the imperishable crown. 
people who are able to put their body under subjection just because they know God's plan for their lives. That's how you're going to get this crown. So, the imperishable crown is for those who are successful in accomplishing the mission here on the earth. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul uses the soldier. The other time he uses an athlete. Now he uses a soldier. He says, you therefore must endure. Somebody say endure hardship. As what a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Next verse. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And I said on Wednesday that entanglement is not the same thing as involved. You are involved in life does not mean you should be entangled in life. So no matter how you are involved in life, because I expect you to do well, I expect you to work, I expect you to feed your family, I expect you to leave an inheritance for the next generation. I expect you to do all of these things. However, it is not that you are entangled and there is no connection between what you do and what God wants you to do. You have to find it. Help me preach to two people around you and tell them, find it, find it, find it. Then number two, we said the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. This is what we call the soul winner's crown. He who wins a soul is what is wise. A lot of you are going to have stars on your crown because of souls that you have won. Please, can I say this? Many of you would not have an idea now on the things God will reward you for in the future because you don't see the connection of some things you do to eternal rewards. But in heaven, God is going to show you and say, hey, you see this person here? This person is here today in heaven because you prayed. You may have no connection in witnessing to that person. But somehow you can share in my joy. That's what Paul said. He says, partake in my joy of the gospel. And your ability to share or partake is that you are able, we're connected in achieving this one big success. Some of you gave money to where your presence could not be. Some of you sent words of encouragement. Some of you gave aid. God will call you say, see, this is where your money went to and these people were touched. These people were saved. Some of you interceded. These persons were saved. These persons were touched. So a lot of you will receive rewards that you do not even know about yet. The soul winner's crown is very key because God has called us into the ministry of reconciliation and this is the most important ministry in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have all kinds of ministry. Deliverance ministry. Healing ministry. There's a difference between gifts and ministry. Okay? So when we say ministry, I'm not just talking about the sense of service like I taught you two weeks ago. But when I say ministry, I'm talking about assignment. The most important assignment of the believer is to reconcile people to Christ. That's it. So if you're within a space and nobody is knowing Jesus because of you, then you're not really excelling yet in your ministry. If through healing the sick, because you have the gift of healing, people come to the knowledge of Christ, okay? Don't say that your ministry is the ministry of healing. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation even though you have a gift of healing. So your healing ministry is supposed to lead men to Christ because there's no point people are healed and they go to hell. Are you still here? So you serve in church, you are serving the body of Christ for the one good purpose of reaching out again and bringing the harvest back to church. So, your, your ministry primarily, I want you to say that with me, my ministry primarily is to reconcile men back to God. So, that, that, that's what it is. That, that's what it is. And the Bible says, he that wins a soul is what? 
is wise. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Next verse. For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying you new converts are my glory, crown and rejoicing. So that's what he's saying. So when you lead someone to Christ, you are availing yourself to be blessed by the crown of rejoicing. I would add just the last one because we don't have time is up already. Um, We'll continue from here next Sunday. The crown of life. Number three, the crown of life. There are five more, but let's just do this one. We may not even finish this one. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Those who endure hardship and persecution of their faith will receive this crown. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he would receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, the crown of life is for those who pass through affliction, trial, and temptation of their faith. Now, please hear this. Let me make a distinction so that you don't swallow up everything. And just, there are things you are supposed to resist. Your disposition towards life should be dominion. But your approach towards God should be submission. So I'm not saying the devil throws something at you. Something that you should resist or fight. And just because I'm teaching you about the crown of life. You feel it's a right as a believer to go through it. That's not what I'm saying. Affliction shall not arise the second time. You will speak to this mountain, be thou removed, and it will be taken away from you. So there is the place where you exercise the believer's authority as a child of God, and you say no to sickness, you say no to Satan's oppression, you say no to negative cycles, you say no to negative patterns, you say no to generational curses. You are in Christ, those things are not supposed to come around you, so you dispel them. But there are certain temptations and trials that you must go through because of your faith. That's the one you can't say no to. Persecution because you identify yourself as a believer. You were sacked from your office just because you're not going to change your faith. Or just because you believe in God. That's persecution. But you're going to be crowned for it. I was born in Kano and um, my father is still there. Serving the Lord diligently. He keeps saying, I'm not afraid of Kano because a dead man is not scared. I've given my life to God and I am one with Christ. Kano is one of the most difficult places to do ministry and churches. I've seen many churches burned down in Kano. The believers in the north in Kano who are there upholding their faith in the face of persecution and trial will receive rewards. People who are challenged on their faith level to deny Jesus, who refuse to deny Jesus, will receive a reward. So please, can I say something to you? Whether you be a young lady, a young man, the moment something is compromising on your faith, but you have to suffer for it, it's better you choose the suffering. It is better you choose the suffering. Because that suffering, the Bible says that when you go through that suffering, the spirit of glory will rest upon you. That spirit of glory is the crown of life. It's like the crown of life that you're going to receive. If people are going to deny you access into some privileged place that you're supposed to be in, just to compromise, just because of a compromise of your faith, I'd rather you not. I'd rather you choose a no and a resounding no than to compromise your faith. Because when you say yes to Jesus and to your faith and to what you stand for, you're going to receive a crown of life. There are many other crowns, but we cannot do all of the crowns today. But I want you to be eternally conscious in your life. Know that at some point in life, God is going to require that you stand before him and Jesus will be the judge. That everything you've done in the body, good or bad, will be assessed. The purpose of the reward is to review and to reward. That's the purpose of this eternal reward. 
is to review your life and to reward your life. I pray for you that you would be able to number your days wisely, that you apply your heart to wisdom, and you give yourself to the things that matter in the end of the day. I was watching, I stumbled across a series. Um, I didn't really watch it, so I don't really know what it's about, but it's a series of a man who has a lot of money, and the money does not, he, the money has no value because it's a thing of survival. I don't know what the name of that series is. It's something on Netflix. It's a thing of survival and there's food that is coming up from, up, down. I don't know if you've watched it. What's the name of the series? Oh, the Platform. It's a movie, right? Okay, it's a movie. It's called The Platform. It's a thing of survival. So, your money is not the currency that is required for survival at that time. It is food. And money cannot buy food, unfortunately. I'm saying to you that life is in phases and stages of which the relevance of those stages will show forth when you're passing through life. Your priorities will change. As young people as we are, our desire is to make it. Our desire is to have an impact in life. But the moment you cross your 40s, 50s, 60s, you begin to think legacy. You begin to think handing over to the next generation. You begin to think transition. At that time, you would understand that relationships are more important than money. Oh yeah. Then you cross to the other point. You begin to thank God for life and for health from your 70s, 80s. Now I'm teaching you the gospel. You understand that well-taught the gospel keeps you in the place of assurance, not uncertainty or anxiety when you're 80. Because the major problem of the elderly is I don't know what next. There's a sense of anxiety or a sense of regret of the things that were not done properly. Or for some a sense of satisfaction. It's very few. But you, by the grace of God, you will come into your fullness of life and the things that God wants you to be. You would, you will grow old and not be feeble. I'm praying for somebody here. You will grow old and not be feeble and be well accomplished in what you are called to do, where he wants you to be, and how much you have established, how much you have laid your life down for Christ, and knowing fully well that he will tell you one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So this should be your drive at every given point in your life. Remember remember your creator in the days of your youth. There are so many passions as young people. So many passions. So many passions. In fact, some of you, the way you would know where your affection is, is by the things you are most happy about. So you have to redefine from today. What are the things that make me excited? What are the things that make me happy? Notice them and strengthen your convictions on the right things. Keep important the right things. Stay in the right places so that you're not corrupt in your spirit. Some of you need to reevaluate your friendships just because you're circumspective about life. You are looking at life with a goal, like Paul said, I'm not beating the air. Okay? I told you, involve yourself because there is no transformation without involvement. But I don't mean involvement and entanglement. You cannot be transformed. You cannot transform the world. So be circumspective. Be in the world, but not of the world. You can't do things the way everybody does things. You're a believer. You have a goal. You have a target. You have a calling. And please, when I say calling, don't look at this thing. Don't look at pulpit and microphone. Calling, I mean you have an assignment. Be focused on it. It's one of the first things I will teach my kids. Me. Because God gave me the privilege to, you know, the Bible says all your children shall be taught by the Lord and grace shall be the peace of your children. So you will teach your children these things to 
focus on the things. Let them find God for themselves and pray that they will stumble into the path and the will of God for their lives. Jesus said at the age of 12, don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? 12, 12, 12, 12. And being a teenager did not deviate him from what he was called to do at 30. Because a lot of us when we were young, we knew what God wanted us to do, but the moment we saw life, we threw it all out again. But I want to, if you're here, you're listening to me and you want to reaffirm your calling, your purpose, your, your assignment, your ministry, your heart towards God, your everything, just bow down your heads where you are. In fact, this is a prayer for everybody. Just bow down your heads where you are. Right now, God is restoring a passion in your heart that will take you through and across the trials of life through and across the distractions of life that you will give attention to the things that are more important you will give attention to the things that he has called you to be and do and to him be the glory and the praise and on that day when you stand before the Lord he will say well done thou good and faithful Josiah thou good and faithful Funke thou good and faithful Grace thou good and faithful John Thou good and faithful flow. Thou good and faithful princess. Good and faithful. Whoever you are. Thou good and faithful. Lord we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Let your word lift us up. Set us on the path of purpose. Let it set us on the path of your assignment for us. And you alone take the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Where you sit at, clap your hands. The word got into your spirit today. Clap your hands. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.